You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. been with us this fall. We've been working through this book of Ecclesiastes, this book of wisdom literature, and we find ourselves now coming towards its conclusion as we start chapter 11. So we'll be in chapter 11, verse 1 through 6 this morning. I'll give you a moment to turn there, and then we'll read God's word together. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. For you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which, uh, you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you might add your blessing, not only to the reading of your word, but to the preaching of it. Father, we are grateful, Lord, that you have been so gracious to give us the scriptures by which we know you and by which you call us to live and to find our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to this text in Ecclesiastes, Father, we pray that you would teach us and instruct us. And Lord, as I sow the good word of your gospel upon the hearts of the hearers here, that it would indeed bear fruit as you will. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as as I've talked with a lot of pastors in ministry, gospel ministry is often at such a slow pace that it can be incredibly frustrating. The fruit of gospel ministry is very difficult to observe because as you begin to sow the seed of the gospel in ministry and local churches and the preaching of the word, it can often be years, if not decades, before the fruit of that sowing actually becomes visible to your eyes. In fact, I know many pastors who enjoy hobbies like woodworking partly because there's this sort of tangible and concrete product that comes at the end of the work. The wood is immediately responsive to the saw, to the sandpaper. You can see its effects, but the human heart is slow to respond when it comes to the chisel of God's word. In fact, pastoring feels very much farm-like, being like a farmer, except the seasons of ministry are measured in years, not months. So as we invest ourselves in the kingdom of God, 
And as we seek to sow into God's kingdom, we have to remember that the work of gospel ministry, the work of kingdom advancement, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. If you are a Christian, I pray that you are investing yourself in God's kingdom in this sort of way. And so as the preacher of Ecclesiastes begins to move towards the conclusion of this book, he picks up the exhortations. He starts to get increasingly clear. Starting in chapter 11, he starts to leave behind the ambiguity of his meandering journey of searching for purpose and significance of life under the sun. And he starts to be more direct, exhorting us to live in the fear of the Lord, which is his book's conclusion. So in our text today, we're going to see that wisdom means living for a purpose higher than yourself, bigger than yourself, that if you are going to fear the Lord and live in the wisdom of those who fear the Lord, you have to live your life open-handedly, taking calculated risks for God's kingdom. So let's dive into our text today by first considering invest your life in God's kingdom. I'm going to make that exhortation to you to invest your life, yes, yours, into God's kingdom. Look at the way our text opens today in verse one. Let's try that. Look at verse one. (laughs) Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. On first glance, that seems like a really strange thing to do, doesn't it? A strange image. I mean, is the preacher telling us that after church today, we all need to go out to Lake Wilson and feed the geese, right? Do we need to go get a good loaf of bread, maybe some of that great communion bread, right? And throw it out onto the lake and let it become soggy and let the bread float upon the water, absorbing all of the the mildew and the bacteria that comes from the lake water. And, And then we come back after many days and we find it. That sounds like a science experiment gone wrong, doesn't it? Obviously, the preacher doesn't intend for us to empty our fridge and throw it into the ocean. That wouldn't be a wise thing to do. So what is he talking about when he says, cast your bread onto the water? Well, like so much of Ecclesiastes, there are many different interpretations as there are interpreters. But there seem to be two dominant views of what the preacher might be talking about here. One view sees this call to cast your bread as being primarily about generosity, generosity. Perhaps casting your bread upon the water is a, is a metaphor for almsgiving, giving to the poor, helping those who are hungry. Indeed, it is good for Christians to feed those who are hungry, to care for those who are in need. That's something we should do. Benevolence Ministries has been foundational to the church's life together, going all the way back to the book of Acts as the early Christians sold their possessions and distributed according to as any had need. But similarly, Jesus tells us that the mark of true Holy Spirit-driven faith, right, is to care practically for the least of these, my brothers. So, similarly, Jesus tells us, or James tells us, that true religion is a caring for the widow and the orphan. Sharing our bread with those who need it That's a good, gospel-driven, biblical impulse. But there's a second view of what it means to cast your bread upon the water that I think actually fits much better within this chapter and within the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And what the, the preacher is emphasizing is the importance of how we invest our lives. Casting your bread upon the water is an image of international commerce, trading goods to other nations. Shipping is difficult. Just look at our current economic climate, right? Getting things here is proving challenging. But, but in the ancient world, it was especially challenging, and not just challenging, but was an incredibly risky endeavor. You would load your harvest, load your assets of grains and goods, and you would put them on a boat, and you would ship them off, and often you would not see your investment return to you for not just months, but years on end before you got the profit from your trade. You literally cast your bread upon the open seas, hoping that one day it would in fact return to you with your profit. So as we move to the book's conclusion, it's important to remember all the sorts of warnings that the preacher in Ecclesiastes has been given us about wealth. He talks about wealth repeatedly. He talks about how wealth is in fact a striving after the wind. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. But the largest section concerning money goes back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, where the preacher warned us that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So he describes ongoingly, if you remember chapter 5, how wealth just makes us miserable. So as we turn to chapter 11, towards the end of the book now, making our way to the book's conclusion, the preacher isn't casting all of that aside and telling us, here's some good investment advice for your stocks, for your retirement portfolio. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he's using this image of international commerce and investments to help us think about a larger, much more important spiritual question. And what's that question? How? are you investing your life? How are you investing your life? In other words, this is not a passage of Ecclesiastes for Dave Ramsey enthusiasts, right? That's not what this passage is about. But it's for every person, every person who's wrestling with the question of who and what should I be living for? What is the aim of my life? How should I live wisely? Do you think about your life in that way? You think about your life as an investment, because an investment means that you do put your life at risk in order to reap a reward. If you invest in the stock market, you put your money into the stocks, putting it at risk in hope that the money will grow larger by your investment. Being a careful investor with your life, that's a, that's a financially wise thing to do. But do you think of your life as this sort of investment? Not just your assets, not just your funds, not just your bank account, but, but your time, your, your gifting. Do you think of your life in this way? Because as Christians, we have to think about our lives this way. We must consider our lives as an investment in the kingdom of God. And that means every asset that you and I possess is now put at risk for Christ's kingdom. Everything we have available to us, time, money, talents, all of it is to be used for God's glory as we work together with other Christians to advance the gospel, the kingdom of God. We indeed sow our lives for God's kingdom, expecting that God by his power would cause us to reap a harvest of gospel fruit in years to come. In other words, 
we should be venture capitalists for the kingdom of God. Think about your life that way. As a venture capitalist, taking risks for God's kingdom. Why should we invest ourselves into this kingdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you four reasons why investing yourself in God's kingdom is a good idea. First, there is no cause more significant than the kingdom of God. There's no cause more significant. Consider all the sorts of causes that you could hit your life onto. You can, you can find all sorts of causes that you can pick. Some of them are not so helpful. Some of them are really helpful. They're worthy. They're helpful to society. But in terms of significance, no cause is more lasting in its significance than the kingdom of God. Indeed, the gospel we profess changes the very souls of men and women. Their hearts, while many social causes will deal with so many different ills that plague society, only one cause actually transforms people at their very core, their very hearts, and that is the kingdom of God. But second, there's there's nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. It's not only significant, but it's valuable. You can invest in Bitcoin or stocks or real estate, but no investment promises a more valuable return than Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus, we can exchange the temporal treasures of limited worth for an eternal treasure of limitless worth. In Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In Christ, we have this inheritance. And so the value of the kingdom of God is described in Revelation in this new Jerusalem, where we see walls of that city that are made of every kind of jewel, and gates made of pearls, and streets made of gold. What wealth has ever existed like that? But yet those who invest their lives, as I hope you do, into the kingdom of God, invest themselves into a kingdom that is unsurpassed, unrivaled, unseen in value. But third, there is no investment more certain than the kingdom of God. No investment more certain. Every investment we make in this life requires risk. And that's certainly true of the kingdom of God. Indeed, for the cause of Christ, we risk our lives to get the gospel to the nations. But yet, only the kingdom of God, only the kingdom of God promises a certain reward that comes from the risk. Now, you might have the best financial advisor on the planet, but he can't promise you a return on your investment, can he? Even the best political candidate might promise his election that if you donate to his campaign, but he can't guarantee that. But for those who invest their lives and their money and their resources into the kingdom of God, there is a guaranteed return on that investment. Because in Christ, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then fourthly, there's nothing more lasting than the kingdom of God. Nothing more lasting. The gospel we preach goes beyond our temporary lives, but it goes on into eternity. As we invest ourselves in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're making an eternal difference in people's lives. As we are casting our bread upon the water for God's kingdom, we do so knowing that we are casting it for the cause of an eternal kingdom. All other ventures that we employ ourselves in, they will one day fail. But those who venture for the kingdom of Christ will succeed. 
in that sense that the kingdom of God is the best deal on the planet, the best investment you can make. Why gain treasures that you will lose at death if you can exchange those treasures now for an eternal treasure that is to come? If we love Jesus above all, I certainly hope you do. If we love Jesus above all, we are going to mobilize everything we have, everything we own, everything we've been given for Jesus's fame, Jesus's honor, Jesus's glory, Jesus and his kingdom. It's that pearl of great price to us if we're Christians. We must be glad to exchange everything up that we might invest ourselves fully and freely in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you given up your life for Jesus? Have you discovered him alone as that pearl of great price? In the gospel, we see that Jesus gives up his own life for our sake, that by his blood, He pays the penalty for our sin. He forgives those who repent and believe in him. And he places them as citizens of this eternal kingdom that we've been talking about. And so if you're not a Christian today, I pray that that question of how you invest your life bothers you and indeed agitates you. And I pray that if you're not a Christian, that I would implore you today to be reconciled to this God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't squander the gift of life that God has given you, but come freely and willingly to find your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and then begin to use your life by grace for the cause of his kingdom advancement, not your own. Only when you come to Jesus will you live your life for something that is truly significant, for someone other than yourself, for an unshakable kingdom. But the investment continues, this imagery continues, not just in verse 1, but in verse 2. Look at Ecclesiastes again. Verse 2 of chapter 11, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Here the preacher continues this, this imagery of investing, and he draws and pays our attention to the wise principle of diversifying our investments. <laughs> now that's good advice for your stock portfolio, yes, but it's also sound counsel when it comes to investing in God's kingdom. In other words, as we seek to steward our time and our resources and energy into God's kingdom, it can be a prudent thing to diversify your investment in God's kingdom. So the primary way that all of us invest into God's kingdom is through your local church. But within the church, There are a variety of ways that the church stewards the resources given to be strategic in all the diversifying ministries that we support. We try to model this at redemption by taking 10% of everything we receive by the generosity of our members and their gifts to the Lord, and we take 10% of it and we just intentionally send it to ministries outside of the local church. But as we do that, we don't put all of our eggs into one basket, so to speak. We support the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, which supports seminaries and mission boards and disaster relief agencies and so much more. Indeed, within the SBC cooperative program, there is a diversification of our financial investment into God's kingdom. That's wise and good. But we also support things like our local pregnancy center to help care for women and their children in our community who are facing unplanned pregnancies. And we support the Pillar Network 
which many of you learned about yesterday at our E2 conference, to help advance the cause of seeing churches planted around the country and around the world. And we also, as an active mission as a church, we're setting aside money for church planting so that one day we can have the resources available to see a new church begin whenever the Lord might call us to such a work. So as you see, as you give to Redemption Church within our budget, you are already supporting a diverse kingdom portfolio of investments, ventures for the glory of God. So while the local church should be the primary place where we invest into God's kingdom, if the Lord gives you the means of time and money, you can diversify that investment on your own and invest in God's kingdom even beyond your local church. So as God's people who have received the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be open-handed with our lives, ready to share, ready to give as we can do. Indeed, a shrewd kingdom investor may limit their lifestyle in order to be a more increasingly generous and faithful investor into Christ's kingdom. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, a book I commend to you if you want to think more deeply about these sorts of things, he writes this. He says, abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision for me to help others live. God entrusts me with his money, not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. He also writes in that book later on, he says, too often we assume that God has increased our income to increase our standard of living when his stated purpose is to increase our standard of giving. What a convicting word, but a necessary one if we want to invest ourselves into Christ's kingdom. And if you choose to invest your life, your funds, your money, your time for the cause of Christ, even though the return of our investment is sure, it's certain, it's guaranteed, we still face risk. We should minimize that. Indeed, sometimes if you live your life for Jesus, you must count the cost of that investment. Sometimes we live in such fear of what might come if I give it all to Christ that we actually never take any action to be obedient to the Lord. Ecclesiastes talks quite a bit about this fear of risk that actually prevents us and walls us off, so to speak, from investing into God's kingdom. Look at verse 3 and 4 of our text. Look at Ecclesiastes 11, verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And then notice this. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. What is he talking about here? Well, we can spend so much time worrying about the rain, worrying about the direction of the wind, or worrying about which way a tree is going to fall, that we do nothing, that we don't sow into God's kingdom at all. We can become entrapped in this anxiety of investing ourselves that we do nothing. Imagine the ludicrous, how just ludicrous this is. Imagine a farmer who never plants any seeds in March because he's afraid of a hurricane in August. That doesn't make any sense, right? You have to take the calculated risk and, and sow the seeds anyway, right? As we invest in God's kingdom, we have to understand that gospel ministry requires taking calculated and sacrificial labor and work and investment for God's kingdom. And we do so by faith, trusting in the Lord. 
So let me ask you a question. As you are investing in God's kingdom with your life, with your money, with your time, are you doing so sacrificially? And are you trusting that the Lord will use your investment? Has fear prevented you from obeying the Lord? To what ministry has God called you to do, but you keep holding back, waiting for a better season? Do you keep waiting for better weather in your life? Does the fear of risk prevent you from living for God's glory? Church, let me urge us to take action in expectant hope that God will use our efforts for his glory. Fear can make us great commission cowards, can it? Fear can make us cowards in being obedient to what the Lord has called us to do. In my own life and ministry, I've come face to face with my own fears, with my own anxieties over these sorts of issues. Here's some questions I personally have confronted and wrestled in my own soul over the years. Will I preach the word faithfully even if I lose my job? Will I lead in biblical wisdom? Will I lead in the strong theological convictions of God's word even if it leads to the sort of ministry that the world chops up as a failure? Will I invest myself in a group of believers in Wilson, North Carolina, who sense a calling to begin a new church in this city. And if I invest myself into the city of Wilson and indeed work to see a new church begun, will it happen? Will it survive? Will the church thrive? Will people come? Will people give? Those are questions I've asked in my own heart and soul over the last several years, but God has been faithful. As a young church, God has taught us all, hasn't he, in his own way to take a calculated Great Commission risk for his kingdom? Church planting is this sort of risky endeavor that we're talking about. Indeed, every church plant is this sort of bold venture for God's glory. But church, we can't let fear of the unknown stop us from living in obedience to God's commands. It didn't stop those who helped plant this church by God's grace. And God has brought blessing upon blessing to all of our lives through Redemption Church. And as Redemption Church grows, and as we look to invest ourselves in building our own building, and as we hope to plant churches in the future, I pray that this church never grows complacent and comfortable, but that we keep sacrificially investing our lives into the global cause of Christ around the world. So let me urge you, invest your life into God's kingdom. Cast your bread upon the water, expecting to find it returned to you after many days. But secondly, let me urge you to trust that God is at work. Trust that God is at work. In order to become a venture capitalist for the kingdom of God, in order to take this sort of risk that we've been talking about, we need to recognize that God is always at work even in hidden and mysterious and sometimes even unobservable ways. We trust in God's sovereignty. And even though we have a difficult time and sometimes seeing the reaping that comes from our sowing, we know that God is working. And so we keep sowing out the gospel with our lives, even if we don't see an immediate return on our investment. The preacher reminds us of God's hidden and secret and mysterious working by using the image of a baby in the womb. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so do you not know 
the work of God who makes everything. And we may know much more about prenatal development of babies nowadays, but even still, the womb is a mysterious place to us, isn't it? God forms a human person in the womb, made in his image, given a soul, fearfully and wonderfully made. The preacher emphasizes that so much of what God does is unknown to us. Even with all of our scientific advancements, we have certainly learned a great deal, but in so many ways, our scientific discoveries just keep showing us more and more of how little we know. We have a greater awareness day by day with every new discovery of how small we are and actually how little we understand about the cosmos. To the unfathomable mysteries of space, to the number of skies and galaxies uh, and stars and galaxies strung across it, to the mysteries of gravity and black holes that we don't understand. And there is so much we don't know that you can not only go big, you can go small and you can think about all the molecules and atoms and, and parts of, of protons and neutrons and elections and electrons that we can't even fully understand. Indeed, these hidden mysteries of life show us that God is always at work. His ways are mysterious. He sustains the universe by the world, word of his power. And so our creator God is infinite in wisdom, infinite in power, and he made the cosmos. And in those mysteries of the cosmos, there is a lot, even still, we don't understand. And so the preacher makes this point in verse 5 because it is a reminder that we don't know when the clouds will bring rain. We just don't know. We can't predict it. We don't know when the winds will blow. We don't know which way the tree will fall. We don't know when the stock market will collapse. We, we just simply do not know. We're not omniscient. And so when it comes to how we invest our lives for God's kingdom, we have to do so realizing that as we sow, as we invest our lives, we do so in utter dependency upon God to do a work. Because we don't know everything, we take wise and calculated and risky investments for God's kingdom, trusting that God will accomplish his purpose in mysterious and hidden ways, ways that we don't understand. That when you cast your bread upon the water for God's glory, you can't know, nor can you predict what will reap from your sowing. You just don't know it. Many times we can't imagine the impact that we are having. And oftentimes the Lord uses those simple and ordinary acts of faithful sacrifice and he multiplies that work in huge ways that often we never see and oftentimes we won't see. <coughs> Your offering might not be much by worldly standards, but your sacrificial giving and investment can be used by God in drastic and unexpected ways. Consider the little boy's lunch that was offered to Jesus. And by it, Jesus fed 5,000. The Lord is able to multiply the return on our investment in God's kingdom in, in hundreds of folds, right, in unexpected ways. I look back on my own life, and I think of the many saints who invested in me in small and subtle and unnoticed ways. I mean, think back to your own life. If you grew up in the church, maybe you can recount some of these memories that I share of that Sunday school teacher who first gave you a love for the Bible, or that pastor who preached the gospel to you, or that friend in college who discipled you, or that generous church member who supported you in a time of need. I think of so many people in my life, life like people like Miss Catherine, 
Miss Marie, Mr. Charles, who were kind and warm-hearted and hospitable and an encouragement to me as a young preacher's kid. And those are names that you have never heard of and you will never hear of again. But in fact, all those saints now have gone and have been with the Lord for some time. But yet their meager investment in my life as a child has reaped a harvest of righteousness in my life that not, not only they did not expect, but I did not expect. And they did not know the fruit of their labors, the seed that has been sown, the, the harvest that has come. They didn't know it even in their own lives. I share that because I don't want to discount what God can do with ordinary, simple Christian faithfulness. Believers who sacrifice and serve and show up at church and come to their community groups and commit themselves to the work of evangelism and discipleship. That's not flashy work to be done, but it's faithful and it's obedient to the Lord. And we keep sowing the gospel seed in our lives as a local church and And sometimes we don't really see the return that comes from that sowing. At least we don't see it immediately. Perhaps we sow in another waters, another harvest. Maybe we see the fruit of our labors. Maybe we die before we get to see them. But yet God is the one who gives the growth. He's the one who does so. He is at work in hidden and unexpected ways as he saves sinners, as God uses us to make disciples as he uses us to advance his kingdom. Let me tell you about a guy named Luke Short. Luke Short. He was converted at the age of 103. A long time. 103, he was converted to Christ. Luke sat in Virginia as an old man thinking about a sermon he heard from a famous preacher, a Puritan named John Flavel. And as he remembered the sermon, he became convicted of his sins And he asked God to forgive him, and he put his faith in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ for his salvation. And he lived three more years after that, dying at the age of 106. And on his tombstone, this is what the tombstone was inscribed. It says, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. Now, what makes this story so amazing? It's not the age of the man's conversion, but the gap of time between John Flavel's sermon and Luke Short's conversion. The sermon that Luke remembered in Virginia that day had been preached 85 years earlier in England. But yet the seed of God's word had remained with Luke Short. And even as he crossed the Atlantic, even as he started a new life in Virginia, the word of God stayed with him. And it brought a harvest of righteousness in his life at the age of 103. Amazing. Now, may testimonies like that encourage us to keep sowing God's word by our lives, to keep sharing the gospel, even though there seems to be no fruit in that person's life. Keep sharing it, trusting and believing that God at his appointed time will bring the reaping of our harvest. He, He will do it. He will bring that work. Trust and believe that God can do it. And so may we cast our bread freely upon the water in faith, believing that after many days, even after we're dead and gone, there will be a reaping for Christ's glory. Thirdly, may we expect to reap what you have sown. Expect to reap what you have sown. This gets into verse 6. We invest our lives into God's kingdom, trusting and believing 
that as we invest our lives for eternity, there will be a reaping from that sowing. Look at verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is a similar principle to what Paul outlines for us in the book of Galatians. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap flesh, uh, reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This principle of sowing and reaping. With our lives, we may sow the good seed of the gospel, and with it will come a reaping. In our finances, in our time of discipling others, in our service to the church, in our evangelism, we take risks, we keep sowing, we keep making sacrifices, trusting that God will do that reaping, like, just like he did in Luke Short's life. So may we, like the Apostle Paul, count our lives as of no value, giving all that we are for Christ. Remember Paul's words to the Ephesian elders. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. May we say the same of our lives, counting our lives as no value for the sake of Christ. The preacher He's been walking us through all of Ecclesiastes. He's been showing us all the vanity, all the meaningless of life that can be found under the sun. And as he makes his way to the conclusion, the penultimate conclusion here of, of fearing God and keeping his commandments, he is urging us to invest ourselves for what really matters, what is lasting. Life is short, so fleeting. Don't squander your life on that which doesn't matter. Give yourself for the global cause of Christ. For some of you, that might mean investing your career with excellence, being salt and light, being a good witness to Christ in your workplace. It will mean investing yourself to the local church. It will mean working together with other believers in your church for the cause of the Great Commission. But some of you may aspire to ministry as a vocation, serving as a pastor or a missionary. Consider carefully how God is commanding you to fill in the blank check of your life. Invest it for his purposes, not your own. However, as we consider this passage and its call on our lives, I can't help but express gratitude to God for the countless ways that you as members of his church, this church, are sowing the gospel into each other's lives. I'm so encouraged by your discipleship of one another, by your spiritual concern for one another. I'm encouraged about the way that you're doing evangelism, sharing the hope of the gospel with others. And yes, I'm encouraged by your faithfulness and your financial stewardship and supporting the work of the ministry here at Redemption. And as we consider our church and what this means for our church, as we consider Redemption Church, we find ourselves as the first generations of Christians in this church, after all, the church is only four years old, right? We're the first generation of Christians in it. And because of that, we bear a heavy weight of stewardship, don't we? Indeed, the Lord, if he tarries, we pray that Redemption Church will be here for a long time, long after we're dead and gone, if the Lord tarries so. And we pray that Redemption Church, like we do at the E2 conference yesterday, we pray that, that Redemption Church will be that pillar and buttress of the truth in the city of Wilson and in all of eastern North Carolina. 
Indeed, we hope to reap a harvest of healthy churches in the decades to come all across this part of our states. However, the bread we cast today may not come back to us, but for many, many days from now. However, we keep investing. We keep living open-handedly, trusting that God in his time, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty will bless that investment and he will cause it to bear fruit. I say all of that because as you know, as members, we have a building project on the horizon. We have a scheduled members meeting for December 5th at 5 p.m. And if you are a member, you need to be there. And at that meeting, we hope to give important updates on this whole building process. And while buildings can certainly become an idol, that's always a temptation, we have to remember that buildings are a tool for doing ministry, an important tool. And if we hope to have a greater influence upon Wilson and the surrounding areas, we need a place of our own where the church can regularly gather. And as you know, buildings are expensive. (laughs) They're expensive. And not every generation is called upon to build the place where future generations will gather. But yet, that's exactly how I hope we think about this as the elders prepare for their presentation. That you might consider how you might give above and beyond your regular giving for the purpose of constructing a future home for our church on Merck Road. And we ask that you might help us invest in the cause of the gospel in Wilson and beyond. And that as we do that, we're not doing it for us, right? We're doing this for future generations in mind. May we not only think about the benefit that we will have as we build this building, and certainly it'll be a benefit for us. Hasten the day, we don't have to push a big metal cart through those doors. Praise be to God, right? May it come quickly. But we're not just doing it for us, right? We want to consider the children that have yet to be born in this church, that will one day sit and hear the preaching of, that go- of the gospel in that building we hope to build. We want to consider all the discipleship and ministry that will take place there. We want to consider and plan uh, all these future missionary and church planning endeavors. We hope that they will all be, those conversations will be happening in this building. And so may we consider all that God might do. And as elders, we believe that it is of strategic importance to lead our church to sacrifice in order to build an outpost, a home base for gospel ministry, not just for our generation, but for generations yet to come. And though we have a a building fund, we have not strongly emphasized it yet as elders, but that will soon change. The Lord has blessed us financially. Incredibly so as a church. We have never had to raise a single penny outside of this church because our members have given so freely and generously. And knowing many church planters, let me just tell you how weird that is, right? We have never had to raise funds. God has provided it through your generosity, through your obedience to Christ. He has blessed us so. But we will need to urge you as our members to make a sacrificial one-time gift or even an ongoing donation perhaps a risky investment above and beyond what you regularly give each month for the cause of Christ to achieve this project. And we don't aim to do any of this by any sort of gimmicky fundraisers. And I hate to break it to you, we're not putting any names on plaques of furniture. That's not happening, right? We just want to present the need and we want to call you as the church to give 
We want to exhort you from God's word to do so. We want to trust that the Lord will provide in his time. The building will come with God's timing and his purposes. And so I and the elders, other elders, we're eager to share more about this with you at that members meeting in December 5th. So come ready to hear these exciting updates. But until then, let me urge you to already begin starting to pray. But how can I cast my bread upon the water as we consider this future building project? Consider what you will sow and pray that the Lord in his hidden wisdom and in his sovereignty would bring forth a spiritual harvest in Wilson, a harvest yet unseen. And while the Lord can do that without Redemption Church, and he can do that without us ever building a building, we believe as elders that it is strategic. It's a strategic investment to make to serve not only our generation with the gospel, but future generations to come. So church, let me urge you as response to call you to application here. May we pray about this. May we consider, may we sacrifice, may we obey however the Lord might lead us to do so. And may we take calculated risks as we give ourselves to Christ's kingdom. And may we do it all for his glory. So church, let us cast our bread upon the water, expecting that God will do the unimaginable. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come thankful that you in your wisdom use our investments, our giving, our time, our resources, our, our talents and abilities. Lord, we, you use them as we invest them, as we give them to your, your glory and to your kingdom. Lord, you use them to do unimaginable works, to save sinners, to bring the gospel to the nations. And Father, we pray that as, as your people, saved and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see your glory, your kingdom, as our ultimate purpose in our lives. Father, we pray that as we answer the who and what to live for question, as Christians, we know that the answer to those questions is Jesus and his kingdom. That's who we live for, and that's what we're living for, Jesus and his kingdom. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would live consistently with that alone as our chief aim. Father, I pray for our members that they would continue to invest themselves, sowing the good seed of the gospel in their life and in their relationships and in their ministry in the local church, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods. May we continue to sow the gospel, trusting that as we take calculated risks to do so, that you will, in your time, cause a harvest of righteousness to come. But Lord, we do pray specifically for this future building we hope to build. Lord, we know that we can still be a church without a building. We know that you don't need Redemption Church to accomplish your purposes. But Lord, we ask that you might help us take calculated risks, be good stewards of the resources that you've entrusted to us. Lord, that the gospel might flourish in this city and beyond through our church's witness. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would not only help us to be able to build a building for our own sake, but Lord, as we look to church planting and missions work all across the world, Lord, we pray that we would get there as soon as possible. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you moment by moment, day by day, as we keep sowing the good seed of the word. Lord, we pray that you would give us confidence that you are at work. And so, Lord, we love you. And Lord, we're so grateful, Lord, for the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.